You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, and welcome back to Fly on the Call, candid conversations on music. Today we're getting a little bit meta, because this is a podcast episode talking about a podcast. Namely, High Notes, hosted by James Shotwell. High Notes is a podcast about addiction and recovery, featuring frank conversations with musicians who have struggled with addiction and are in various stages of their own recovery. The entire eight-episode first season drops next Tuesday, July 28th, so stick around to hear more about its inception. James's thoughts on the interesting relationships musicians have with drugs and how it relates to their public personas, what you can expect from these conversations, and the full lineup of guests. really curious like you know where did the idea for the podcast come from and what's the like quick elevator pitch for those who uh, don't know about it yet all right here's the quick elevator pitch first high notes is a podcast about addiction and recovery in the music business and the idea is that every episode is structured as a conversation with one person who is caught in addiction or in some part of their path to recovery. There are seven episodes in season one, I want to say. There may be eight. We're kind of back and forth about one, which we can talk about in a bit, but there are seven that are definitely going to be released in July. And the goal of the show is twofold. The first one being to make it simple for people to have difficult conversations with people in their life that may be struggling with addiction or with themselves. And the second, and a little bit more complicated, is to take a look at the idea of empathy as it relates to public personas. There are people that are going to be on the show who are often considered people that are afflicted with addiction. It's something that's happening to them. And there are other people that are considered junkies who are just making terrible decisions and ruining their their lives as well as the lives of people around them. And the idea is to try to take a look at how two people can be struggling with the same problem and be perceived entirely different ways and why that's not really cool. Wow, that was, uh, you're very well prepared for this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've had to, uh, it's an idea that's not easily sold um, to a lot of people. I've had to have a lot of conversations about it and I'm gearing up to have a lot more. So I'm I'm hoping that it sounds good and concise. Um, Now to answer your other question, where does it come from? Well, I have a podcast. It's called Inside Music. We've been doing it for five years, 200 plus episodes. And while I like it, like I enjoy many podcasts, part of me hates that podcasts don't end. Like I like, I like the TV shows have seasons. I like this. I can watch Stranger Things, be done with Stranger Things. And then in like 18 months, I can care about Stranger Things again. I like that. And I wanted to, I fell in love with this podcast called The History of Stand-Up Comedy. It's great. There's like eight episodes per season. There are two seasons. Each one has a very specific point and focus and structure. And I like that you can just 
you can just, it ends. I just like that it ends. And you're like, okay, I know everything they want to tell me. I don't have to commit another hour of my life to this again and again and again. And so I wanted to come up with an idea to do that in music because I feel like almost all music podcasts are just like endless. They just, they just go on. So if you like one, you're like stuck. I like lead singer syndrome. I just, sometimes it feels like a commitment. You know what I mean? Like now I'm like, now I have to give Shane an hour of my life this week. I don't know where I'm going to fit it in. So I wanted to do a show that was in seasons. First and foremost, I wanted a topic that we could discuss in chunks. So I was in a green room at St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit, Michigan last year in the summer when Anthony Green was on the Avalon tour. He's a good buddy of mine. We see each other a lot. We always have these really cool, deep conversations that are hard to translate to the written word. And we were kicking around this idea. I was just, he, he was literally doing push-ups and I was sitting there talking to him while he was doing push-ups. And I was like, you know what I think would be cool is if we did something that was episodic and he said, you should talk to people about addiction and like drug use. He's like, I I always find drug stories a lot cooler than like road stories. And I was like, that's true, but we have to make it positive. And he's like, yeah, and you should call it high notes. And I was like, that's a good idea. And then we kind of moved on and we, whatever, we forgot about it. And then in November of last year, Anthony relapsed and we had this moment where we were texting and I was like, well, damn it, man, now we have to do the thing because now you and I have to have this conversation. (laughs) So really it kind of spawned out of wanting to understand my friend and what he was going through. And then as I started to think about it more, it was like, well, there's a lot of people that are kind of caught in this battle. And as a person coming from the journalism side of things, especially in alternative music, we don't like to talk about the difficult stuff. You, You can be canceled and you can be outed as being a horrible person, all of which is fine. But we, we don't really spend a lot of time like digging into the uncomfortable details of things. And part of that is because the target market for a lot of these artists is really young. They're teenagers or you know, early teens. But the scene has gotten a lot older. Most of them, have, a lot of these artists have fans that have families and kids of their own. And you know, they have grown-up problems. And I also think that in today's world with everything going on, you know, people are addicted at earlier and earlier ages. So it's just a conversation that I want to have. And I'm not a person that's ever really struggled with addiction myself, but it's something that always fascinates me. I mean, I've certainly tried my fair share of drugs. Nothing really ever took to me in that way, but I love sharing a good story. And anyone that's going through this is very open and honest, and they always have great stories to share. So when Anthony relapsed, it was like, all right, man, well, it's time to have those conversations. And spoiler alert, he's one of the guests in the first season of the show. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, super interesting to me that, you know, one that was like kind of his idea and, you know, that he ended up being, you know, the impetus behind you actually finally starting it. Um, I'm curious, was there any, um, I mean, obviously you seem very close to him, like he would be fine having that conversation with you one-on-one, but was there any sort of, um, you know, kind of difficulties with, within him that he's expressed to you or with any of the other uh, artists, just kind of like even getting through that door to the point where, you know, yes, we'll have this conversation and it will be made public. I don't know if it's a struggle with the guests themselves. That's a great question, by the way, but it's also, it's all about how you pitch it because there are people that I want to have on the show who may or may not appear on the second season that we hope to put out in December, but who, when we initially approached their team, they were like, I don't think they're going to talk about this 
or yes, it's kind of an open secret, but it's not something they like to discuss at length, or maybe they're not comfortable with it. And something that I always learn about people in recovery is that for some people, it's really easy to talk, it's therapeutic to talk about their problems. And for other people, it, you know, it can cause feelings of shame or remorse. And the last thing we want to do is make somebody struggling with addiction, talk about addiction so much that they then start using it. So it's, it's really trying to find like the perfect, perfect example of somebody has a firm grasp on their situation and they know how they want to talk about the story. Um, in terms of <clears throat> the actual interviews, you know, most of the time, I mean, obviously we, I have a wonderful editor, Landon DeFever has edited all the episodes for me because that's my least favorite part of podcasting and something I'm notoriously bad at. But I told him what I wanted to do. I wanted to make it a journalistic structure with cutaways and narration and everything. And we found a way to make it seem like we get right into it. And most of the time we do, like almost every episode opens with me straight up asking, you know, how long have you been sober? And then we kind of go back to the beginning and we work our way through it structurally. Some people, the only real difference is that some people go deeper than others when it comes to like the dark times. And obviously that's where some of the best stories are. Um, Since we're going to use it in a teaser, I'll tell your audience now that there's an episode with Burt McCracken from The Used and and, and he tells us about how he doesn't remember making the album artwork. He knows that he went to the studio and that there's an album out that they made titled Artwork, but he does not remember creating said album. just doesn't happen. Um, So there's a lot of stories like that and uh, people calling the police on themselves because they're strung out on crystal meth or dealing with drug dealers and waking up in places they don't remember. And, you know, the whole, anything that you think you would hear, this is the kind of stories we share here, but some people for reasons that we don't try to press too hard, you know, are, are, are more inclined to just kind of be like, I had a problem with this and that's fine because ultimately, you know, anything they want to share with us can be helpful to people. We don't need to be like, tell me the worst thing that you. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, have you noticed, did you notice any sort of, you know, patterns with either, you know, either the, like the types of musicians um, that were, you know, that you ended up talking to, whether they were like, you know, singers or the lyricists in the bands or the guitar players or, um, or, or any patterns with kind of like the way that they kind of like internalize that period of their, their life and the way that they like present it. Well, for the most part, this first season is vocalist and that's kind of in, intentional because we wanted to feature people that kind of had the most recognition obviously we're trying to build a show and when you think of people in bands that actually get attention that's that's who you think of right like we think of when i think of circus survive you think of anthony green as much as all the other guys are great anthony's the one that you think of and there's an exception we have head from the band corn he's obviously not jonathan davis but head had his own solo career he's uh he's written books he is kind of a figure in his own right so we really wanted to go after people that would draw individual listeners in the really only common traits that they share are that for the most part by and large they got into drugs at an early age um teen years just experimenting and then they get into music and something happens usually early success that opens all these doors and they realize that if you're the star of the show, you can kind of get away with things, which I know is something that we have demonized a lot in recent years because of things the president has said. But in the music industry, it's also true. I don't remember who it is exactly. Maybe it's Ronnie from the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. He tells, he says at one point that 
you know, if you put, I want a, a case of whiskey on the rider, when you get to the next town, there'll be a case of whiskey there. And if you say, I want, you know, an ounce of weed, most times there'll be an ounce of weed there the next day. And there's always somebody willing to fill that need for you because people want to get close to you. And so when those doors open, people have a tendency to be like, well, I'm going to take advantage of this. And before they realize that they're a little too far gone. But what I find most fascinating in the commonalities is that I think you can argue with the exception of the first album most of these artists put out, which is always, you know, always the big one. It's the one they spent their whole life writing. Usually it's before the addiction has taken, play, taken hold of them in a big way. Almost all these artists get better once they get clean, but they don't know that that's the case. They all fear that they're not going to, but then once they get their, they get their lives together, they put out the best music. And sometimes you can tell it's really evident in someone like Anthony because First couple of circus, first circus survive album, amazing, iconic. Then Blue Sky Noise, amazing record. After Blue Sky Noise, they do get to Dark Waves, and he's back in the throes of heroin. He hates that record. It's really like a mixed feelings amongst the fans. He gets his life back together. They do like Desensus and the Amulet, and you're like, oh my god, this band's amazing again. And you can kind of see, it's almost like the quality of the recording reflects the mental and physical well-being of the people making it. Who would have guessed? Um, but that's that's this, that's the thing that comes up over and over again. And for someone like Head, you know, he's not the only person in the band that's struggling with addiction. But where he's at is kind of reflective in like the message of the music, where they're going, how clear what they're trying to convey is. Yeah, and you mentioned that you know the commonality of kind of getting caught up in that kind of like cult of personality. You know, thinking that you're a little bit you know better and stuff. Um, how do the artists that you talk to how do they tend to like kind of reflect on that like are they still kind of like you know is is that confidence still there in a way or is there you know some sort of you know like leveling factor for them that they've kind of found well i think it's all about not buying into your own hype i think that you're right The, the problem is is that people start to buy their own hype because our relationship with music is that we we listen to a song and if it says some, the, the musicians that we most often find ourselves drawn towards are those that are able to speak about things that we don't know how to express ourselves or at least not express as eloquently as that song. And because of that, we have this really weird connection to them. That's like the magic of music. But if you're the person who's writing a song that people like you and me hear and go, oh my God, that guy gets it. Well, then you find yourself in this weird position of power that can be very cool and very humbling, but it can also be really scary because all of a sudden, all of those doors fly open. All these opportunities are there. People are now not only relating to you, but they're almost living vicariously through you. So part of you is like, well, all these people get me, so I can do whatever I want because those people, if they were me, they'd want to do it. And I'm going to share my experiences with them. So I have to go harder. I have to go deeper. I have to go further down this road I'm traveling because it's the only way to keep these people engaged. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, your interview style on um, Inside Music is like super conversational and, you know, something that I really tried to take inspiration from for this show. Um, But I'm curious, like, was that kind of like, did that feel like a strength for you while you were doing these interviews? Did it, you know, help you kind of get people to open up a little bit more than you felt that they would have otherwise? That's a good question. I think I mean, obviously, Anthony, I knew that I could go that deep with him. I mean, it's the whole idea behind the show. But I think in every episode, I walk away being like, I can't believe I talked to this person about this thing. And the messed up part is that sometimes it's the, it's the crazy story when they're on drugs. And sometimes it's the vulnerability of talking about their recovery. Like a great example 
in the head episode from Corn, giving away teasers that we already have made. So I know that it's not like spoiler alert, but in the teaser, we'll talk about this. He realized that he needed to get help the same day he made a phone call from Russia, I believe, to California and asked his crystal meth dealer to ship him meth to Russia where the band was on tour. And that made him be like, I think I have a problem. And so that's like three minutes into a 30 minute conversation. So like at that point, you're in the deep end of the pool. Like we can do anything we want now. Now we can talk about anything because like all bets are off. And then in the, to go back to Ronnie from the red jumpsuit apparatus, his wife basically created an intervention situation for him where she was like, I'm going to leave you if you don't get your life together. And it made him really stop and reflect and take a lot of very conscious steps to improving his life because he wanted to save his marriage and being able to talk about, you know, kind of recognizing your weakness and recognizing you're out of line and not just saying, I'm sorry, but doing something about it. That's a really crazy thing to hear somebody describe, especially when, again, they're like somebody that you almost see on a pedestal. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, how some of them kind of like dive right in. Um, and I'm sure some of them were a little bit, you know, pulling teeth a little bit more um, to try to get them to, you know, get that opening up. Um, how did, did you find that that kind of like affected, you know, like your interview style or like the way you went about it? Like, were you able to kind of, you know, change the way you spoke to each person? Mm-hmm. Well, I try to go in with as few expectations of where the conversation is going to go as possible. Now, if I know what you were addicted to or like what your, what your drug of choice was or you have some very public blowout that we all know about, then those are kind of like cornerstones of a conversation, right? Like I know we're going to talk about how long you've been sober. At some point, we're going to talk about the darkest point and then we're going to get to your recovery. Like those are the three like chapters of how the story goes. So in between there, I'm open to anything happening. But if I start pushing too early and I can feel the resistance because somebody, you know, sometimes they stutter, sometimes they hesitate, sometimes they flat out don't really answer the question. Then my approach has always been to almost like, I I try to look at it like putting pressure on something. And so if, if somebody is, if there's a lot of resistance, I'll lighten the amount of pressure and then try to come at the question in another way, or just talk about something else. Because if we can find a common ground, like uh, Bert from the used, we start off relatively kind of sterile. We aren't really getting into the nitty gritty of stuff. We're just kind of talking about very general. These are the things I was dealing with. But once we strike a chord where you and I get each other, whether it's like we both love Bob Seger or we both, Um, have a crazy story about being on mushrooms or something along those lines, then I know I can ask you something deeper because now you don't see me as an interviewer. You just see me as another human being the way that I'm ultimately trying to see you and how I'm trying to capture you for listeners. I don't want them to see you as a person on a pedestal. I want you to be Bert, the human being that has daughters and lives in Australia in a one bedroom apartment with a dog. Uh, that's who I want. That's how I want the world to know. And once people, I think, get that and they're okay with that because they recognize that you accept them as an individual despite all their flaws and you don't see them as a god or somebody who has all the answers, they're willing to have a real conversation with you because I think most people want to be able to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier the kind of like the style of the show is going to be with, with like cutaways and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, you mentioned like the kind of, you know, you were trying to approach it from a journalistic um, point of view was it kind of like hard for you to um you know keep in between those where between like you know the, the fact that you're talking about these you know very personal issues and you know the kind of 
you know, idea that's going to be in your head no matter what, that like, this is going to be released. So, you know, in some ways there, I'm sure it's very hard to get that out of your head, especially when you're talking about stuff like that. Oh, a hundred percent. That's a great question. It was a big struggle because I, I always want to make sure that there's a story there. Like there's, and I know, you know, this as somebody that interviews people, like you never outright say it to the other person but there's this unspoken agreement in an interview that you're going to say something to me or I'm going to say something to you that makes this whole thing worth it. That's going to be like worth our time <laughs> to be sitting down for this, this period of time. And, and something that I try to do, especially in this show, was bring my own limited experience with either addiction or drug use to the table because I feel like if I open up enough that you are like, holy crap, I can't believe you're telling me this thing, then maybe you'll tell me that. But I also always kept my idea that at the end of the day, as much as you could have a million people struggling with addiction and all 1 million stories are different. How they got there is different, where they're at in their journey is different, and the path to recovery is different. And I've never actually gone through the 12-step program or anything like that. I've, I've quit things. I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke weed, really. I don't do any drugs of any kind anymore, but I've done a lot of them over the years. So I wanted to know what all these journeys were like. In the process of understanding them, helped me to kind of create the journalistic side of it. So Ronnie from Red Jumpsuit, for example, his, his whole thing is, his episode is like the alcoholic episode because alcohol was his drug of choice. So he went through a traditional 12-step program. So when I'm talking to him about it, I don't directly ask about the 12 steps. He talks about being in it. And as he starts using lingo or lessons from what they call the big book, which is kind of like the handbook to Alcoholics Anonymous, the show kind of, we, we stop the interview and do a cutaway to me here in my home studio, reading from the book and kind of explaining where this thing he talks about comes from and like what it means in the context of recovery. You know, because he'll say something like, I learned that the hardest thing for me to do is to just worry about my side of the street, which is kind of an innocuous saying, but I know from doing these interviews, that that's, that's something from recovery. So then I find the source of that saying, read it, and then I kind of give you an example of how that works in, in the context of recovery or just in life in general, like what you can learn from that life lesson. Mm-hmm. Inside Music is very much just uh, you know, a standard interview podcast. So how was it for you kind of like figuring out how to do that different type of style and you know, figuring out when to put that relevant information like when to kind of just like let it slide and let the the conversation flow well for me it was all about pitching so i had to tell everybody we've been working on this show since december of last year and it's only coming out now in july so every interview we made firm rules we're not talking about the thing you just put out so the used have a new album out i mentioned it in the intro of the show but we don't talk about it in the context of the episode unless the artist brings it up so by removing the I need to know about the thing you're promoting right now element of the story, then we don't really worry about it falling into a traditional interview format because now we have a purpose. Our purpose is to talk about this one thing. And again, like that was the whole idea of the show. Like I want to talk about one thing really well, really in depth with a bunch of people, drop it. We're going to do it Netflix style. So it all comes out at once and then wait a few months and do it again. And then if people still want more, keep doing it until we've exhausted all of our interview candidates because I, I think that there's something beautiful about that shortness and the focus. And if I'm a person who's struggling right now, 
and I tune into a podcast with a musician that I love who has been where I'm at right now and they start talking about their new album, I'm immediately going to tune out. It doesn't make it feel like it's honest, right? The only way to make an honest podcast about a topic like this is if it's the only thing we talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the whole idea of you know dropping the whole season at once is kind of like, could also potentially catch someone at that moment of, you know, where they're getting like a little bit of inspiration and, you know, it could really keep that ball rolling. If they, you know, have more, more conversations to listen to and more perspectives to hear and more potentials for, you know, how to help themselves. Yeah. There's about, uh, it's not every episode is under an hour. So I'd say there's probably, probably four, four and a half hours of a season to enjoy, which isn't a, isn't a ton compared to other things, I guess, but it is, it's heavy because, there's more than one episode where the guest where the guest cries or or and we we talk about recovery we talk about heroin crystal meth alcohol weed vicodin xanax um we are in in the thick in the depths in a big way and sometimes it's really hard to do and sometimes there's moments of lightness uh justin from blue october tells a really great story about calling the police on himself in the midst of a three-week crystal meth bender and how he thought somebody was trying to kill him but it turns out it was just himself and it's really funny but it's also like it's heavy though. I did an interview for the show recently. It's the one that I'm not sure we're going to release. And we, we can kind of talk about why in a second, because I haven't really done that anywhere yet. But I remember ending the interview and being like, I just, I just took a shower because I was like, I, it, it, you know, the episode might end up being 40 minutes. The interview itself goes like 60 to 90 minutes. So I got out of a 90 minute conversation and I was just like, I just want to be clean. Like I just need, I wanted to like cleanse myself a bit. Not because the person was so heavy, but it was just like, it's a long time to talk about something very heavy. It's like talking about death. After a while, you're like, I just want to watch it. Like it's, it's all I want to do. And that's part of my joy of doing it all at once. Is I, I'm a person who like, if I have to do something difficult, I want to do it all at once. I don't want to like put it off. So I want to drop it all, promote the crap out of it, work on the next chunk and then the next chunk and try to make it as easy to digest as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned a couple of times the, the interview that might not happen. I'm curious, you know, can you, what, what kind of, was it like the second thoughts about the stuff that they revealed or what was kind of like the situation around that? So in setting up the show, my idea was I want to talk to people that have all public perceptions, right? So I want to talk to Anthony is a great example of somebody that I think is considered a tortured artist. He doesn't suffer from addiction. Addiction is attacking Anthony. It's very different. That's how people think about it. You know, he's not a junkie. He's a person struggling with addiction. Now I have an interview. Actually, I did the same interview twice because the first time we had dinner the first time, it didn't work out. The recording was junk. We did it a second time. So I've spent like three and a half hours talking to this person. But let's say without giving away their name, that they fall on the villain side of the alternative music scene. And within the last year, this year technically, I guess, some new accusations of their villainy (laughs) have come to light right before we recorded. And the whole time going into it, I was like, I know that this person is viewed this way. I know that I have contributed to them being viewed this way. But I'm a firm believer that if we're going to say that person is canceled or that person is no good or whatever, that we should allow that person to say something. They should be able to speak for themselves at some point. And I didn't feel like anyone was giving this person that platform. So I reached out to their team. I, told, I pitched them the show and I was like, listen, if, if this, this individual does it, they need to know that I'm going to be very hard on them about 
how their drug use relates to things, then that's not going to be a cop out. And they're like, they understand, they're into it. We did it. They did understand, they were into it. But after I finished it, you know, I've been pitching the show for a while. You know, we've been getting some sponsors. We're in the final, final steps of bringing on two really cool nonprofit sponsors. And we were talking to a big publication about buying the entire season and releasing it as their own content. And the person in charge of that publication, as well as these nonprofits, as well as my own editorial team, meaning my editor and the people that make the music and stuff, have all been like, in the last couple of weeks as we've been in the very final phases of getting the show ready, they've all been like, I don't know if we should release that episode. Not because the content of it is bad, because I honestly believe that it's maybe the best interview this person has ever done, but it's because, not because of what I ask, but because of what they say, but because the fear is, let's put out, if we put out eight episodes and this person is one of them, people are only going to talk about the fact that we gave that person a platform in a time, especially right now, when those type of individuals are being rightfully outed, rightfully shamed, rightfully cast out and trying to give them a platform without instead maybe giving their alleged victims a platform or any something like that would would really kind of take away from the point of why we're doing what we're doing. And I, and it, and I fought it real hard. But then the uh, the owner of this publication called me and he was like, you know, I don't think you should do that. And I was like, you don't think I should do it, man? You're the one who told me it was a good idea. And he was like, I know, on reflection, it's not. And I was like, okay. So, so we go, we're going back and forth on it. And I think what we might do is put out the first season, seven episodes, run through the guests in a second. And then we have a, we have a, a special mid-between seasons bonus episode that we're planning right now that we're about to record in July. And we might, we might drop it later. So I'm just, I'm just kind of sitting on, sitting on it, but I've been asking around and the more people I ask, the more people are like, I mean, it's cool, but you shouldn't do it. And I, I lean towards my biggest fear is that like we were, everyone puts in all this effort. It's not just me. I'm the face and the voice, but I, the show would not exist without Landon editing it and other people contributing to all the parts of it, mostly for free. So I, I owe it to them to respect their wishes more than my own ego of being like, no, nah, we won't get in trouble. Cause I absolutely know we will get in trouble. So it sounds like a little bit more of a high stakes version of uh, Zach leaking the uh, Fall Out Boy reunion. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like that, but uh, without giving away their name, I will say that, as an example of the heaviness of, of these episodes, in that conversation, I, I said to this person, flat out, what do you do when the person you're dating tells you, I'm going to do heroin because you're doing heroin and I'm not enough for you to stop doing heroin? And then they actually do it. Like, what do you do? And we get into like, that's kind of where these conversations go. And that's a heavy question. It's a heavy thing to ask. And I remember after we had the, I told some of my friends and interviewers, I was like, this is what I just asked this person. And they were like, that's crazy. But the, the joy of having a show that's so focused on something is that you are allowed to kind of go there. Because if you were just interviewing anybody, you can't be like, let's, let's get deep into like the thing you don't want to talk about. This show is all about, we're talking about the thing you don't want to talk about. So now I have the ability to go really, really deep and specific with things. Anthony has kids. We talk about what it's like being a person who struggles with, you know, heroin and other drugs while having a family. Like it's, 
it's it's a necessary heaviness, but it's only made possible by the fact that we enter the conversation knowing that we're going to these things. And there are conversations that you probably wouldn't hear unless you were in Alcoholics Anonymous or some other recovery program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned like the idea, uh, um, a part of the backlash about that quote unquote semi lost episode, whatever, um, would be potentially you know not like giving the abuser a platform and not giving a victim a platform. Have you, I'm curious because obviously, you know, addiction affects everyone around you. Have you like considered, you know, looking at anything, um, not specifically for that episode, but I just mean generally, have you like considered like bringing in interviews with people who have been affected by addiction in other ways in their life rather than having it themselves? That's a really good idea. Uh, we have. So that, that that interview in question, that was the first, like, how do we save it idea that somebody had. But the problem is, is that if, you know, if we, we recorded that episode to be a normal episode. So if we then go and ask the other people to input and put them together, that's not fair to the original interview. And, and I just become somebody that's mediating. And that's not really the goal. But I will say, nobody can steal my idea because we're already doing it. But... I will say that the bonus episode that we are working on for release in the fall is an episode about somebody in the alternative scene that died in the recent years from addiction. And it's going to be entirely told by the people in their lives since they can't be on the show. So it'll be their knowledge of what was happening, how that individual did or did not reach out and what they learned by being kind of, on the outside of somebody's struggle with addiction that ultimately ended up you know, dying. And again, not a fun, not a fun time, um, but, <laughs> but it's good. And it was an idea that when I pitched to the group involved, they were like, Oh hell yeah, we'd love to do that. That's a great idea. But it was still like, really? Like you want me to ask you about these things? But what I find is that most people, most people want to talk about it because there's something very freeing and being your honest self. And we, we work and exist in an industry that's built not on lies, but on putting your best foot forward and ignoring your other foot entirely. And so this show is all about like, what's, well, what's that other foot? That's the more interesting side, you know, especially when it's alternative music. So much of it is built on struggles and pain, but we never talk about it. So this show, we're talking about it. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you had the connection with Anthony, which was kind of like what sparked the show, but what was it that like, really made you want to like kind of dive into those like I mean you're saying how difficult the conversations are like what is it that like kind of really made you want to dive into that that hard stuff well my partner right now is has been in recovery for I don't know 12 I think we celebrate her 13 years I didn't know her until she's about to celebrate her 11th year of Variety. But as I was talking to her about the idea of doing Anthony's thing, and she would share with me these stories. At first, it was just the stories. You know, as a person that's spent uh, 13 years now writing about music, I'm always looking for a story that's just like, I can't believe I've never heard this crazy thing before. Or And, and she would tell me these stories that were just like, blow my mind. As a kid who's always like, generally not crazy things happened to me. Like I I did mushrooms and I thought I was going to die and I didn't die. And that's where the story is. I mean, there's more to it, but that's like the beginning, middle and end. And she would tell me these stories about like, she was like 16 and struggling with these things. And 
And it just made me love her more that she was willing to share that part of herself with me. And I, I felt like I understood her on a deeper level because everything that she's done since then and all the things that she occupies her time with now are a direct result of the changes that she made and worked on 13 years ago. And I started to ask myself, you know, I've spent all a long time talking to these musicians and I can keep talking to them about their new project over and over again. And that's fun. But if I want to really get to know them the way that I think all fans want to know their favorite artists, then we need to have a different conversation. And so I started to think like, how can we do that in a way that really helps people? Because I always feel like the world is on fire, diseases everywhere. <laughs> Nobody knows what's going on. And the only option that most of us ever have is like give money somewhere and make someone else take care of it. And I'm happy to do that all the time, but I wanted to be more involved. And I don't know what it is about her opening up to me in that way or seeing other people I know even tangentially struggle with opioid addiction or whatever. But it's just something that really captures my imagination in a way that makes me want to do something. And I can't make you get clean, but I do know as a person that has kind of made a life in storytelling and reciprocating stories with people that stories are themselves uh, a machine that generates empathy in a way. So if we share stories about our struggles and what we're going through, it makes people have a better understanding of who we are and it causes them to have more empathy for our plight in life because they understand that we're all caught up in our own craziness and it's suffering for everyone across the board. And to pretend that it's not is really just doing a disservice to one another. It's, it's trying to ignore the things that we really should be talking about and working on together. And I, and I wanted to try to, you know, right now, especially in alternative music, the scene, quote unquote, is really fractured. It's just a whole bunch of different factions, everyone trying to outshine the other as being a little bit more perfect than the last or a little bit more. And I think what, what makes a much bigger difference is when we search for those commonalities, the struggles that we all have, and we work together to try to make things better for everyone. And if getting these guests to share their stories with the people that already depend on their music for their salvation, like on a daily basis, just to get through the day, make somebody think twice before putting a needle in their arm, take, picking up pills or gets them to talk to their mom, dad, sister, brother, friend about their drug use. Well, then I, then I like to think that we can make a small difference in the world. And if, if you don't suffer from addiction, you don't know anyone that suffers from addiction for starters, you're, you're probably not fully aware of what's happening in the people around you. But secondly, there's, there's a lot to enjoy here just from a, a sheer storytelling element because everybody loves, everybody loves an underdog story. Everyone loves uh, things were working, things got bad, things got good again. And that's, that's kind of the general flow of this show. It always is like, it's okay. It's not okay. It got better. <laughs> um, and, and I hope that, I hope that that makes a positive impact on the world because I know that I've spent 13 years writing about music and I often don't feel like I've done anything of lasting merit. And I feel like this, you know, not, I don't care if I'm remembered for it, but I think that the stories that we share on the show have the ability to have legs and that matters a lot to me. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of like, you know, pretty much every episode having the, you know, the happy ending in a way. Um, do you think that's kind of, do you think that's an accurate portrayal of, you know, addiction in general? Or like, how do you feel like that kind of fits in with, you know, our perception of addiction? Well, I think that the problem is, you know, we address this a lot because several people on the show have been to rehab 
two or more times is that you decide to get better, you go to some meetings and then you're better. But we've been learning more and more because pop culture is paying a little bit more attention to it through shows like Bojack Horseman that it's not that it's never a straight path. Like recovery is in, is a forever thing. Like something I asked my partner recently, we were just sitting home. I asked every single episode of the show. I asked the same question, which is when was the last time you were craving drugs and alcohol? And when was the last time you felt genuinely tempted by drugs and alcohol, which are two very different things. And I asked her the same thing just the other day out of curiosity. And she said, I don't know the last time I, she said that when her dad died, that was the last time that she felt tempted to drugs because she wanted to make the pain go away. And she knew that it would. But the last time she was craving it, she was like, Oh, all the time. I think about it. I think about it every day of my life still. Like it's just, it doesn't go away. You're just working on it. So it's not really, it's never things were good. Things got bad. Things are good again. It's I'm working on myself. And every day we make a conscious decision to not do that to hurt us. I always tell people, and we say it on the show at one point that if you tell yourself, I'm going to stop doing drugs and alcohol today, and I'm never going to touch it again, you're almost setting yourself up to failure because almost nothing in your life you commit to today and do for the rest of your life. It just doesn't work that way. So what you have to do is find what works for you on a commitment level and stick to it. So for some people, that's today, I'm not going to drink. And for other people, that's this hour, I'm not going to drink. And if you make it through that day or hour, do it again and again and again. And eventually you'll wake up and be like, it's been a week and then a month and then a year and then five years and then hopefully 20, 25 years. But if it's not, if you fall short, you don't have to be like, oh, I spent five years sober and then I messed up last night. All you did was there was a day where you didn't do it. So today, make that decision again and stick with it. And that's all any of us can do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of an important lesson to learn you know, with life in general, but I think it also speaks a lot to, you know, the idea of public persona of like victims versus junkies, like you were mentioning before. Um, Can you like talk a little bit more about that and kind of like how, how your perception changed throughout doing the podcast? Yeah. Well, like I said, I I feel like Anthony's a classic example of somebody, even, and even me as a person who even before he was my friend, I always looked at him and whenever he would have open discussions about his problems i'd be like oh man uh, it sucks that he's like just a, a victim to these drugs and then somebody not the guest that we haven't that i'm not saying their name of a completely unrelated person but let's just pick ronnie radke for example great example of somebody in the in alternative music who has struggled with drugs and whenever something goes bad they're like well that's just ronnie he's an asshole and he deserves to die because he's a junkie and it's and it's like, okay, well, Ronnie may or may not be addicted to the exact same thing Anthony is addicted to. And they're both ultimately trying to do the same thing, which is have a, have a career in the spotlight while struggling with personal demons. But for whatever reason, Anthony has been able to get away being the good guy who's plagued by bad things, and Ronnie is the bad guy who does bad things. But at the end of the day, they're both just people with a problem, with a sickness, the same sickness, and we as fans need to learn to see them that way because there's no difference from Anthony to your uncle that is addicted to opioids because he hurt his back or your friend who does cocaine on the weekends. They're all struggling from the same sickness. And I, and I guess I, I hope I, I know I learned from doing the show 
you know, every episode is different, but at the end of it, I always felt the same way, which is I just, I'm just rooting for this person and I want to do something to help them. Even if it's just listening to them tell their story or tell me why they think things got this way, because I just want to see them all get, do better. And, and in general, I do. There's a really great book by JD Vance called um, Hillbilly Elegy. It's about the, the opioid epidemic in the Rust Belt, primarily in Ohio, where he's from. And it had a similar impact on me where it wasn't about all these cool drugs or crazy stories. It was about normal people who get caught in a bad way and kind of lose themselves and about having empathy for them and trying to understand that all the anger that it produces and the bad decisions and the crime or whatever comes of it, it's all a symptom of the sickness that they suffer from and trying to work on that rather than focusing on the things that, that that sickness produces is really the key to, you know, being there for them, helping them, loving them, understanding them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you've said earlier that it, these interviews are kind of offering the kind of intimacy that like all fans want uh, with their favorite artists. And I mean, that kind of, I feel like that, uh, you know, fits in with the idea of, you know, buying into the hype and that kind of being part of what leads to, you know, the addiction and all a lot of, or exacerbates it at least in a lot of these people. Um, do you think that, you know, having that sort of in- intimacy is th- something that fans should have in general? Uh, not specifically about this podcast, but I mean, how do you think that the the want for fans to be so connected, how does that, you know, how do you feel that plays into like these artists' lives? Well, I, I think that you should have a right to as much privacy as you want, but the problem is that we went from being an industry primarily ran by people who make really great music to being an industry that primarily thrives on the people that we see the most often. So the people that put themselves out there the most tend to be the ones that gravitate towards the top. Whether or not you like them, they're inescapable. So if we accept that to be a big deal for the most part, there are always outliers. Frank Ocean, great example of an outlier, but everyone else they kind of have to stay relevant all the time. They always have to be doing something, sharing something, posting something. So if we accept that that's just the way things are, that people are always going to want access to you, well, then we can step back and say, well, what do I want to share? And what will the thing that I'm going to share with them mean or do? Because you can just post nonsense all the time and become famous. But if you have a platform, then you have the ability to use it to influence positive change around you. And ultimately, I think that most artists want to do that. You know, they want to put out songs that they love and they want to make the world a better place in however way, however many ways that they possibly can. And I think the problem comes is when fans don't feel like they're getting enough of it. And that's, I mean, the artist shouldn't feel pulled into that. Something I, I deal with a lot with inside music is that I talk to a lot of small artists who I ask, you know, what works when marketing yourself these days? And every single one of them says, putting yourself out there as much as possible, just put constantly being present. And I'm like, yeah, but what are you saying? Because I, I just, it's all just noise to me so much of it. So hopefully something like this show gives fans a chance to get ingrained with an audience because again, we're focusing on just one thing. If you just do a, if you do like 50 interviews, I know you've been a part of these, like the secret of being a person that interviews people is that you're like interview five out of 15 for the day. You have a 20 minute window and somebody's talking to them immediately before and after you. 
that's, that's how it goes. But if all those interviews are about the same thing, you're not going to really keep people engaged. You have to constantly be changing it up. And if, if that's the truth, if we accept that as like the reality of marketing today, then doing something like this is really good because it's focused. It gives your fans insight into you, but you can still control how deep you go. Because I'm not going to push you. If I, if I feel that you don't want to talk about you know, the bleakest moments, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to find another angle. But we're still kind of giving them a very focused conversation. And that's ultimately what will satiate fans. Because they don't need another, another plug for your album. They know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned earlier that um, you know, some of the guests are kind of like in various levels of you know, nor- notoriety for their drug use. I'm curious, like, how you kind of went about, you know, reaching out to the guests, especially the ones that, you know, where it's not necessarily, like, general public knowledge that um, they do struggle with addiction. Um, connections. As <laughs> <laughs> weird as it is to say, like, sometimes I would talk to a publicist. Honestly, Ronnie from the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus wasn't somebody that was on my wish list for season one, but I was in L.A., for work and I took a meeting with his publicist for a completely unrelated matter. And I just happened to pitch that it was something I was working on. And he was like, Oh, you know who you should talk to Ronnie. And then he like gave me a publicist pitch for why I should talk to him. And then other guests, uh, Nick Martin from sleeping with sirens is on the show. And I didn't even know Nick had gone through recovery and he's someone I'm pretty close with, but, when he heard that we were working on it, he, he kind of volunteered himself. Um, I think Anthony suggested Bert from the youth. So there's a little bit of a network there where people are like, Oh, you know who you should talk to because we're recovery buddies or whatever. We talk to each other about this, then you should talk to this person. And season two so far, the lineup that we have is largely that it's like, and the publicists all seem really happy too. So some of them have been like, now that you had this person, I also represent this person who is as as recognizable or more, and I'd love for them to be on the show because now you're now we've kind of proven the concept. Um, even though the show isn't out, there's three episodes that are done that we're sharing with people privately just to kind of drum up some promotion. Um, and, and as I share them with the publicist, they're all like, "Oh, now I'm going to help you get someone else." <laughs> yeah, and I, that's like a really interesting. I mean, it. it it makes sense that kind of switch, but it's also a very interesting, you know, kind of thing. I'm curious, like, how do you kind of feel about that, that, that switch to, um, you know, kind of wondering to being extra helpful? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I get it on the idea that, you know, just throwing out like a wild one, like if I wanted to talk to, I don't even know, like if I wanted to talk, there's a while there where people were worried Post Malone was addicted to drugs. And if I was, if I wanted to talk to Post Malone, his publicist would be like, for what a podcast that has no analytics, like a thing that doesn't even exist yet. And a person I don't know is hosting it. No, it's not going to happen. But if we can show you the show and I've always believed this to be true from the very beginning, I was like, if you just let me make one season's thing and I show it to you and it is as good as I think it can be without sounding egotistical about it. But if it's as best I can possibly make it, then I think that you will want to hear more of it. And you'll think you'll want to help me get, bigger guests because I don't think that who's on the show matters as much as the content of the show itself. That's a big thing with inside music as well as I have a lot of guests that are really small artists that I just like, and I just want to have a really good conversation with. And I, for this show, we do have more notable people, but the theory is the same. Like it doesn't matter. Bert could be on the show 
and not say a single thing of worth. But we have a really good conversation that produces really good content. And when publicists hear that, and they hear that it's something different because it is really well polished and it has structure and it has flow and narration and original theme music and all these other elements, then they're like, oh, I get it now. It's really hard to sell people on something they've never seen or heard before. So you have to like show them. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, that obviously, you know, goes in with the, the the guest selection with you know you know mentioned much most of them are bigger names um as if this continues and um you know kind of picks up steam are you uh thinking about you know diving in with you know even like lesser known people who you know have stories to share but aren't necessarily you know as well known absolutely it's it's tricky because you want to have a diverse lineup of people um, and I, but I, and you want to make sure that all the stories, all the episodes are really good. This first one, we play it safe in that they are almost all frontmen. They are all easily recognizable to fans of rock and alternative music. But I think if once the show establishes itself, then you can take a few more risks. Like I really want to have Haley from Absent Father on the show. I've talked to them about it. They want to do it. But in terms of like getting people to pay attention to the series, we kind of need to front load it with some bigger names in order for it to take off. It's just like selling tickets to a festival, right? Like you announce the headliner first because that's who's going to sell the most tickets. So once, once people are kind of in the door and paying attention and they're ready for the next season of the show, then we might mix up you know, an A-list artist with somebody that a lot of people might not know because you're hopefully along for the ride. I know Mark Marin does that really well with the WTF podcast. You know, he'll have like Barack Obama and then the next week it's a comedian you've never heard of. But because you like the Obama episode, you're like, you know what? I'm going to see what happens. We're going to see where this goes. So I hope that once people hear, hear the show and hopefully they like it, that when we announce new guests, it won't be a matter of like, I like that band. It'll just be like, I want to hear these conversations. Yeah. And I think that really like speaks to the, the interest of the subject, you know, like kind of, it's going to be interesting no matter what. And, you know, the person you've never heard of might have a story that's, you know, 10 times better than the person that, Oh, you know, all about. Him. Exactly. Exactly. And I also think that you'll see the the commonalities between them all because it doesn't matter what genre you're in or how famous you are. Addiction doesn't care and it, it just doesn't, it's not really a factor. It's just like the new album. Like the new album from all these guests doesn't matter because the thing we're talking about is bigger and it doesn't care. So I think when you hear this, it's really just about these stories of people going through it in hopes that you'll hear it and be able to go through it a little bit better yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we've talked about a lot of, you know, great stuff. Um, I kind of always like to wrap up my interviews by asking for, you know, just like a piece of advice or something that you've been thinking about that you'd like to share. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be specific to addiction or the podcast, but um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of open the floor in that way. No, I love it. Uh, That's a great question. I like advice. It's kind of what I build my career on these days is advice. I don't have great advice uh, for addiction. And most of the guests on the show, I ended the exact same way you just did. I asked them for like what their advice is to people. And most of them, you know, get help if you can is always always the best response. Uh, There are resources out there. Um, Anthony told me once that you have to stop trying to control your life and learn to dance with it. And I always think 
that's maybe the best advice I've ever received. You kind of kind of have to go with the flow of it. You have to let it lead sometimes. Sometimes you let it lead. It's a trade-off. It's a, it's a dance. Um, but specifically because I'm a person that makes stuff and maybe people are listening to your show that want to make stuff, my advice is to find something you're really passionate about, even if you don't think you know anything about it. Because when I started kicking around the idea for this show, I only knew what I saw in movies and read in fictional books about all of this. And then I dove into it real hard. Before we recorded, I was listening to books on tape. I was reading books. I was reading articles. I was talking to people I knew that were in various states of recovery. And I was asking the questions that would ultimately make up the show because I was passionate about it. So focus your efforts on the thing that you care about. And then when you do it, don't worry about anyone else listening to it. Like is, uh, for the last year I've been doing a YouTube channel and only in the last like two months has the views on that channel started to take off in a reasonable way. And the rest of the time, I just don't look at it. I just don't look at the views. I'm not, I'm not out there to make stuff so that it gets consumed by a million people. I'm out there to make stuff because that's what I want to do. So do it the best you possibly can and keep going. Don't give up at one month. Don't give up at three months. I think you should give everything at least six months to a year. And if it isn't working and you, and it's not working for you, then drop it, but don't give up on yourself and don't get caught up in the numbers. Just keep going. As long as you're passionate about it, the people will come in time. That's awesome. I think that's actually, you know, some of the best advice that we've had. So definitely appreciate that. I appreciate you letting me talk. If I can plug the whole lineup for the series real quick, that'd be great. Um, so we've talked about a lot of them already, but just so you know, High Notes Season 1 drops uh, late July. Uh, there'll be announcements hopefully everywhere. You can follow it on social media right now. It's High Notes Pod, High Notes POD everywhere. There's not a lot of content on any of those channels, but they exist. Um, season 1 features in no specific order because they all drop at once. Bert from The Used, that's Burt McCracken for those. Uh, Justin Furstenfeld of Blue October, Nick Martin from Sleepy Irons, Anthony Green of Surrep, Ronnie Winters from Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, Tommy Vex, the lead singer of Bad Wolves, and Brian Head Welch from Van Corn. Season two will be out in December. I say so that I stick to it. And there'll be a special bonus episode, a tribute to a fallen member of the alternative community sometime in August or September. And if you want help, there are resources. You can reach out to me and I will just direct you to somebody else, but I am easily found. So if that's a good place to start, that's good. I always recommend uh, Heart Support and the Global Recovery Initiatives. Those are really great organizations. And uh, all of this is only possible because of Holix, the place where I work. We are a music promotion distribution service. We don't have anything to do with recovery. What we do is we help musicians promote their music online to tastemakers. We believe that education is the cornerstone of building a better music business. And so everything that we do as a brand is meant to help people understand and navigate the music industry, whether that be understanding how to deal with addiction or how to get your music on Spotify playlists. We do it all. We have stuff everywhere. Holix, H-A-U-L-I-X.com. And we didn't even mention that the theme song for the show is by you, me, and everyone we know. They like wrote an original song for the show, but you'll hear it. It's just music. It's not. It's not like a real song. It's just. Uh, it's just. It's just music. It's like drums and guitar for a minute and a half, but it exists. And there we go. Since I spoke to James, he did end up adding a conversation with Haley Butters of Absinthe Father. So you'll have even more to dig into once the season is released next week. And a trailer is available now, so check the show notes for that and all the other related links to make sure you don't miss out. 
Addiction is something that's had a major effect on my life, and I don't think anything bad can happen from opening up conversations like this and working towards greater understanding. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please feel free to reach out and I'll do my best to find the most helpful resources. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FindTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FindTheCallPod at gmail.com. Be safe, and I'll see you next week. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.